Welcome to You Sound Like a Girl. Hi, everybody. I'm Colleen, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I am Emily Rose, and my pronouns are also she, her, hers. And you are listening to You Sound Like a Girl, a storytelling project that explores and elevates cis and trans women's stories about our voices. We aim to explore the social norms around cis and trans women's voices by investigating what it means to sound like a woman and what it means for women to use our voices. On today's episode, we're going to be hearing from and talking with Reverend Yolanda about the relationship between the voice and gender identity. Reverend Yolanda, she, her, hers, who also happens to provide our intro and outro music, is a trans, femme, genderqueer, singer, songwriter, and interfaith minister, originally from Muscle Shoals, Alabama, the hit recording capital of the world. Reverend Yolanda is influenced by the music of her hometown as it intersects with the spiritual spectrum. She's been making music professionally for over 35 years and has won lots of awards along the way. So she got awards from the Blues Hall of Fame and the GLBT Hall of Fame. She's also a two-time Mac Award winner at BB King's right here in New York City. All through her life, creating art that reflects her journey and all of its challenges and enlightenment has been what she believes is hers to do in this lifetime. Her latest work is called Yolanda Nanda. And a little bit of gender identity context for this conversation. According to the Trevor Project, gender identity is our personal sense of what our own gender is. And then gender affirmation refers to an interpersonal, interactive process whereby a person receives social recognition and support for their gender identity and expression. The voice specifically can play a significant role in gender identity and affirmation for transgender folks. And actually, before Yolanda joins us, a quick content warning for listeners. In this first story, and actually a couple times throughout her interview, Yolanda repeats some slurs that have been used against her. And though she herself has reclaimed some of these words, they still may be triggering for some of our listeners to hear. Now let's invite Yolanda to join us. Welcome, Yolanda. We're really excited to have you here. Yes! When you were in the production of You Sound Like a Girl, you shared with us a story about your cousin Lisa, and we would love to share that story with our listeners today. I love my cousin Lisa. She was just my favorite person growing up. And, you know, we spent so much time together that I was at one point thinking she was like my twin soul because she saved my life, her and her sisters. They were just my favorite people growing up because um, my parents didn't know what to do with me. Yay! That was a cause of a lot of fun. My parents were supposed to be raising a boy, and that just didn't work on me. (laughs) I was not interested in boy stuff at all, and actually got in trouble at school for not being interested in boy stuff, and they just didn't know what to do with me. So they would usually send me over to Lisa's house. Which was perfect for me because I loved Lisa and her sisters, Nancy and Cherry, and their mom, Dot, who laughed like this, (laughs) which is how I laugh. The thing is, is that usually I felt shamed or not normal everywhere else in my life. But when I was over at Lisa's house, I felt normal because they didn't judge me for being femme. And their father didn't judge me for being Finn, which my dad had a hard time with. Uncle Bob, he was like, go for it. 
he never had harsh words for me. So me and Lisa would sit up in her bedroom and put on makeup. She was the first one that showed me how to wear mascara and lipstick. And we'd get all pretty because we pretended that we owned a restaurant and that was our thing. We were like, when we get older, we're going to open a restaurant together. We'd love to cook. That was our goal, but it didn't happen because I moved to New York City in my 20s and Lisa passed in her 30s from breast cancer right after I moved to New York. But I did get to sing at Lisa's wedding. And when I think of what a feminine voice is, I, I really do think of Lisa. And sometimes, in fact, I think I'm channeling her voice because when I sing, it reminds me of how we used to sing together in harmony. My favorite thing that we used to sing together was a song called Band of Gold. We would sing it all the time. Now that you're gone, all that's left is a band of gold. It was an awful song about a woman being jilted on her honeymoon night, but (laughs) Lisa and I love to sing it. We were so in sync. That's how I learned to sing in harmony, was matching her voice. I learned how to blend. And I sounded so much like her that when I started singing with my first band when I was 16, the complaint from the guys in the band was, you sound like a girl. But that didn't stop me, though. There was another uh, girl in the band, and we sang really beautifully together. So they liked it, and we kept it that way. And uh, I kept singing. I really felt like... I sounded like a girl for many, many years after that until I moved to New York City and went to the American Musical and Dramatic Academy where a voice teacher got a hold of me and she was determined to make me lose my Southern accent as well as my Lisa sound because, you know, they thought I sounded like a fag is what I was told. And I wasn't going to get any work in New York City if I sounded like a fag. And I just really didn't appreciate that. So that made me frustrated and I rebelled. I couldn't really lose it and I didn't try very hard. And I was just like, F it, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. So after graduating from AMDA, I started creating my own performance pieces and songs and this, that, and the other. And then I got diagnosed with HIV and I decided I'm going full out and nobody can tell me what to do because I wasn't sure how long I had left on the planet. So I created a rock band, Yolanda and the Plastic Family, and we played all over the place, CBGBs, Meow Mix, all these clubs on the Lower East Side. It was so fun. And then I entered seminary and that was another challenge vocally and emotionally. But through all of that, I emerged with the voice that I have now, which is a mixture of a lot of things. Soft, loud, polite, in-your-face, humorous, and melodic, which to me is the basic quality that I hear in my own voice. Musical, you know. I'm grateful to Lisa and her sisters and my Aunt Dot because they still live in me and they sing with me and sometimes speak through me. Yolanda, it's so wonderful to have you here with us today. Thank you so, so much for sharing that story. I always love being with y'all. I mean, honestly, you sound like a girl has made a huge impression on my life. So you're a part of my family now. We are so happy to have heard this story again and been reminded of this wonderful relationship that you had with your cousin Lisa and how you kind of carried that through your life. Yes, thank you. As I continue on in my life, I realized how much support I actually had around me, which I didn't think of, you know, when I was going through it. But looking 
back from this perspective at 64 years, I'm like, wow, I actually did have a lot of support around me. Now, the thing was that my immediate family, you know, unfortunately was not really a part of that support. You know what I mean? Like the gender stuff just wasn't recognized by my immediate family and still isn't. And just, it's just something they can't comprehend for some reason. But it, it's so interesting that my relatives, Bob and Dodd and their children, Nancy, Lisa and Cherry, had no problem whatsoever. And my friend in my neighborhood that I'm still friends with from the fourth grade, her and her family also didn't have a problem with it. So I'm looking back on all of this and I'm saying, oh, wow, I actually did have a lot of emotional support. And I'm glad to realize that. You've helped me realize that. Hindsight doesn't always bring the happiest of memories. So it's really lovely to hear that. And, you know, talking about the gender stuff and life's journey, I'd love to hear a little bit about how your voice has changed or evolved during the, uh, the journey of your gender identity, if at all. From my perspective, it's not a huge change. I don't know. I'm so used to listening to myself and I, I hear myself the same, I think, as I did when I was really young. When I first started recording music, it was hard for me to hear my own voice. Maybe that's true for a lot of people, but I really did have this problem that I was conditioned to have that my voice sounded like a girl, you know, like that it was wrong of me to sound the way that I sounded. Now, in one way, I didn't care that other people thought I was wrong, but it still had an impact on me emotionally. I've always been the kind of person that was like, when other people would try to lay guilt or shame or whatever on me, I would be like, I don't understand why you're doing this. You're the one that's wrong, not me. That was my take on it all. But of course, I'm a kid and I depend on everybody around me. So, you know, people are feeding me and housing me and, you know, so I have to play along <laughs> to some degree. So therefore it was emotionally damaging. Now, I want to say one other thing about my childhood, and then I'll try to bring us up to date. But one thing that really, it still baffles me that this could have happened. The principal of my school in elementary and junior high was the main abuser that I had. And he made it okay for other kids to bully me by calling me a fag and a sissy and making fun of my voice. That was the principal of our school. And whenever I bring this up to people or my family, I don't remember that. I don't, of course you don't. For you, it was normal. Isn't that weird? Like our normalization of bullying. So as I grew up, I don't think there was ever a time when I was trying to change my voice to fit in. I really don't think so. However, I can see that there are nuances that I learned to develop. I guess the popular term for that might be code switching or something like that, you know? So when I'm with this group of people, I know how to speak. And when I'm with this other group of people, I know how to speak. <laughs> and somewhere, you know, in the realm of my existence, there's a group of people that don't demand me to speak any certain way. But the development of my voice has really been, from my perspective, has really been that, learning how to code switch wherever, wherever I am. So it sounds like from a young age, you were using music and performance to sort out your voice or channel your voice or kind of proclaim who you are. 
you know, you were talking about playing pretend with your cousin and singing in a band when you're in high school. So I don't know, can you talk a little bit about how music and performance have really helped you embrace your voice or figure it out or whatever that that might be? Love that question. Yes. Music, singing, performing, and creating artwork has been the path that has kept me sane. And it is my spiritual path as a bigger picture thing. It's where I put all of my energy, frustration, celebration, all of it. And thank the goddess for that. You know, like I popped out of my mother being an artist, you know I mean? Like that was the only thing I ever wanted to do or be or anything. I knew that also from a very young age. So thank goodness that I didn't have to struggle with, I don't have anywhere to put all this emotion. Now, I started singing professionally with a band at 16. I was in a country gospel bluegrass band. You know, we didn't really record or anything like that. We were just playing live all over the place. So the first time I heard myself recorded, actually, was in my 20s. And I was already living in New York. But, you know, I was born in a music town, Muscle Shoals, Alabama. And uh, a lot of my friends that I grew up with were, by this time, in the music industry and producing music and writing music and, you know, becoming players in, in the music industry. So I was invited to come back to Alabama to record a set of country tunes that a friend of mine who became a music publisher who was working with a songwriter and they wanted somebody to record them and they asked me. So I thought that was interesting, you know, with all the teasing that I got growing up and everything, but I did. It was basically a demo project, so nothing particularly happened with it. They sold it to a, a mainstream artist, but they liked what I did. And when I heard it, I was like, oh my God, oh, and all of those things that my the principal would say to me and like other kids would say to me, it all came flooding back. Now, the person who asked me to do this project was another ally of mine, which like, as I look back on this, I'm again, I'm like, wow, I had a lot of people that did love me. And this person is a man, you know, cisgender man, straight white man. And he was a very strong ally of mine when I was young. And he didn't like the way the principal was bullying me and this, that, and the other. And he always took up for me. So there was one incident where a bully, a kid bully, was coming to bully me. And we were both in the band together, me and my friend. And he played the clarinet. He took his clarinet case and bopped the bully on the head <laughs> with it. And from then on, we became, you know, like really close. So this person became very big in the music industry in the publishing area, and he always tried to help me find gigs. So this was wonderful. And the first time I heard, you know, heard my voice recorded was on this country tune, and the tune was called An Old Flame Like Me. <laughs> Now, you know, flaming fag, like all of that. It wasn't about that at all, but that was the title of the song, An Old Flame Like Me. And I was just laughing. I was like, oh my God. And they liked it. But that was the first time I heard myself. And then as I developed, I tried in the 80s to become a dance music artist. And uh, that was very faggy at the time, you know? I mean, that was, there was a lot of uh, gender bending going on in that world. So I thought that would be perfect for me. And I got signed to Chrysalis Records and we did a dance tune called Tell Me Lies. It sounded like Boy George, which I always like thought, well, there's a really prominent, girly, faggy sounding voice, you know, and look at that. They're in the mainstream. So I can do this, you know, so I went headlong into it and just milked it for what it was worth, you know, and then I discovered I was HIV positive. 
So then everything was, I'm not going to be here for very long. So I'm just going to sing out loud and proud and do my thing. So that's when I created Yolanda and the Plastic Family. And from then on, I've just been very confident in my vocals. So it sounds like even more than you finding your voice, music has helped you to find a community. Yes, good point. I hadn't actually thought, there's a lot of things I'm realizing now that I hadn't thought of before, and that is a great way to say that. I did. I found a community, and it keeps expanding and expanding. My latest release is called Queero, which is really funny. It's a story about one of my childhood friends that lived in my neighborhood and their family that loved me and took care of me and stuff. And I released it also as a children's storybook. So in this process of really digging into, like that whole nickname, the nickname Queero was not for me, it was for her because she was being my ally and the kids at school were busy bullying me. But they also, if anybody stood up for me, they had a thing or two to say to whoever was standing up for me, you know? So they would say the word like really queer out. So we would laugh and we would go queer out, queer out to each other, you know? That sort of intention from others to use a sound to shame me and her and it just backfired. It was interesting because when I released the song, I had a, an online party for it because I had a book release and all this. And one of my friends from that time period, who actually was one of the bullies, was watching and came on to say that I've learned so much from Reverend Yolanda and I've actually admired Yolanda over the years, used my name, my correct name and my correct pronouns. And this person finally said, Yolanda's story has helped me reconcile my feelings about my gay son. So I was like, yay, <laughs> sing out, sister. You know, like that shows me that there's power in being who we are, you know, standing up and declaring, like you said, Emily, proclaiming, this is who I am. I am queer. That is an amazing, extraordinary story. Yes. <laughs> That is truly extraordinary that that person responded. I can't even, I just, I'm like, wow. Truly like a testament to telling our stories to the world, right? why you sound like a girl is so important. (laughs) So you have once or twice mentioned that you went on a bit of a spiritual journey and in the story you mentioned seminary. So I'm wondering how that kind of fits into this equation of using your voice. Okay. Very interesting, I think, story. Because me understanding my gender identity has been a lifelong journey. There have been times in my life when I've been very out loud, certainly about it, and now is certainly one of those times. But there was a time in my life where I felt like I needed to go back into the closet. And that time period actually coincided with my entering seminary. My thought at the time was, I really want to fulfill my lifelong dream of being a music minister, which is something that I had wanted to do since I met my youth minister when I was 16 and I got involved with the band and all that stuff. So that was my intention entering seminary. However, I was bringing a lot of baggage with me from the conditioning of the church and this, that, and the other, and all that stuff. And previously to entering seminary, I was Yolanda, you know, everywhere. But entering seminary seemed like to me, like I couldn't be myself there. Like I had to be a certain thing that would be recognizable. So I started calling myself a Roger, which is part of my legal name. I tried to stay under the radar. So if ever I could think of a time where I was in drag, (laughs) 
that was it. Because now, even though it doesn't matter what I wear, I don't consider it drag. I'm just like, you know, oh, I'm wearing this wig today or this makeup. To me, it's not drag. But that was drag because I was creating a character named Roger. And this character had to act right and had to speak right. If there was any ever a time when I tried to be more masculine with my voice, I think that was probably it. It doesn't work very well for me, though, and I can't stay in that place for very long unless I'm singing really low, which is kind of fun. But I can't do it as an ongoing thing because anytime I get excited, I'm like, ah! you know, I'm all like, <laughs> or if I laugh, I'm like, ah! So it's not that it really worked, but it was like a mindset that I had imposed on myself when I was in seminary. Finally, my last year of seminary, I had a, um, a very wise counselor, if you will, in the seminary who was aware of my life as Yolanda and had been to some of my shows at Meow Mix and whatever. And he said, you know that the world really needs a Reverend Yolanda. The world really needs more trans people in ministry. And that woke me up. So then I let everybody know that I was Yolanda and I graduated as Reverend Yolanda. During the graduation ceremony, the, the person who's bestowing your ordination on you, she would go around to each person and announce their name, you know, Reverend so-and-so, blah, blah, blah. So she got to me and she leaned over to me and she said, are you sure you want me to say this? And I said, yes. And so she announced me, you know, as Reverend Yolanda Roger Anthony Mapes. Even up to that moment, right, there was this trepidation. And I said, yes. Yes, Lord, yes. To your will and to your way. I say, yes, Lord, yes. I can't help it. Everything's a song. <laughs> Yolanda, every time you share another story with us, I'm, I'm lots of things, but I'm amazed at the diversity of your experience. You know, here you're telling us you, you were ordained as a reverend, you went to AMDA, you sang country music, and so much more. And these days you also participate in Drag Queen Story Hour, right? At the New York City Public Library. I'm wondering, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Like why you decided to do it, what you get out of it, what you hope others get out of it? Hey, everybody, and welcome to Drag Queen Story Hour. It's a joy, Drag Queen Story Hour. It's like one of the greatest things I think I've ever been involved in. I've been involved in it since the beginning of it here in New York City. It began in California from the feminist press. The feminist press created this idea. And we do exactly what it sounds like. We read stories to children, which is why I got so excited about creating my own storybook, you know? From the very beginning, when the executive director approached me, who was a straight woman, by the way, a straight cisgendered woman, I knew that this was something that I needed to be a part of because of my own childhood experience. So it has been an amazing blessing to work with children ages kindergarten through high school, but mainly I concentrate on kindergarten through like fifth grade. And I see the difference in not only the children, but in their parents and in the schools, in libraries in which we're having these meetings together. 
The New York City Public Library, from the very beginning, has been a strong supporter, funder, creating opportunities, you know, live. But during COVID, we've been doing all kinds of recordings and they're archiving Drag Queen Story Hour presentations. So all throughout this COVID time, we've been recording different stories and different books and songs and whatever, me and the other drag queens in the organization. And New York City Public Library has been archiving them for use whenever anybody wants them. Now, the other wonderful thing is that schools, not the New York public school, but private schools here in the city have been funding us also for teaching gigs, not only story times, but LGBTQ history gigs and teaching kids about different aspects of self-empowerment, you know, how to love yourself and things like that. And the children that I'm meeting are so amazing to me. Like, if I forget to say my pronouns, which I think I probably did today anyway, she, her, hers, they'll ask me, and this is like kindergarten through fifth grade, they will ask me my pronouns. We talk about gender, we talk about books they like to read, we talk about anything that's on their mind, really. But a lot of our time together is spent singing and reading, but also in answering questions and getting to know each other. You know, like they like to know about my story and I tell them and I like to know about their story and they tell me. And last time I was doing, oh, I have a friend whose mother is a drag queen. And I'm like, that's fantastic. You know, we certainly expanded the idea of what drag is. So it's a very wide thing. And in my opening song that I created for them, I say, anybody can be a drag queen at Drag Queen Story Hour. If you like to dress up and have your fabulousness seen, then you can be a drag queen. And then we talk about drag kings and drag queens and all the in-betweens. And what I say is that I'm a trans femme gender queer person who does drag. For me now, what drag is, is like really over the top. Like I'm wearing a pink wig and just glitter, glitter, glitter. That's different than my everyday wear and how I think of myself as a femme-presenting person. Another thing that's happened in Drag Queen Story Hour is that we have attracted other trans readers, trans storytellers into Drag Queen Story. So, so much to me is happening that's moving this conversation forward. This conversation about, you know, what a woman is, what a girly voice sounds like, what a trans voice sounds like. All of this conversation has been moved forward in, by leaps and bounds to me in the five years that I've been working with Drag Queen Story Hour. And culturally, I think, too, you know, we've had a big shift. There's a lot more to do. But Drag Queen Story Hour lays the groundwork for many kids and many families to understand themselves, their neighbors, their cousins and families and members and things like that. And I think it's a blessing to the world. Oh my gosh, Drag Queen Story Hour sounds like so much fun. And I'm really excited to hear that they're archiving them. I hope I can like find the recording somewhere. Awesome. So then thinking more about young people and the people that you're working with, with Drag Queen Story Hour, and frankly, anyone who's listening, right? For our final question, what advice do you have to give to anybody who's being told that they don't sound correct or they don't sound enough? Or what do you want to say to your freaking drama teacher who told you you'd never get work? <laughs> <laughs> I got plenty of work, thank you. <laughs> okay, from my perspective, this all boils down to the patriarchy. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, come on now. What is this thing about telling people how to exist? That's just, we're done. We're done with that. 
So what I would say is be done with that. Be done with somebody telling you how you're supposed to sound, talk, look, act. And it's going to be messy because when you start loosening yourself from these constructs, probably is the word, that this ridiculous society, I mean, you know, ridiculous in the sense of this continual monitoring and this continual control that must be placed on people so that they will buy things. It's ridiculous. It's an attempt to make you feel less than so you can be controlled in some way. That's what it is. And I'm not having it. And I really think that a lot of young people and young parents and everything like that are not having it either. And y'all are not having it either, you know, because that's why we have You Sound Like a Girl. So we're changing in in fundamental ways as a, as a species, as human beings. You know, we're moving from this ridiculous patriarchal control thing that really only serves capitalism, in my opinion. And we're moving into a more creative, intuitive place in humanity where we can recognize our oneness in some way. That's what we're headed toward. It's going to take a while longer. I mean, I'd still be here when we finally see the fullness of it all. But I really have total confidence in our young people in the next generation. And certainly the kids that I'm working with right now from kindergarten to fifth grade. Gosh, what a different world we would have had. So the last time I actually walked into this particular school that employs me now online, there were posters everywhere, you know, LGBTQ, you know, like rainbows and honor each other and just these kinds of posters and signs and the teachers were facilitating discussions in ways that I just had no idea was happening. So I'm confident that we're moving in the right direction. And I say push back, question everything, question what you've been taught. Certainly if you're my age, you know, question it all, you know, but everything that you've been taught, like question it, it can stand up to it if it's real, if it's true, you know, it can stand up to your questioning. Amazing. Thank you so, so much, Yolanda. It was a wonderful conversation. Lastly, every episode, we leave our listeners with a woman's voice that spoke to us this past week or inspired us. So do you have a voice that you would like to share with folks? Yes, I do. My favorite singing partner, her name is Doreen Younglove, and you can hear her on my new song, Queero, which is at yolandananda.net. But also you can just Google her, Doreen Younglove, and you'll see her own dance tracks. For me, she just has a really unique voice, and it's why I love singing with her. In her voice, you find the richness of the gender spectrum, I feel. She's really a, an amazing person with a unique voice that I respond to so beautifully. So I'd like to share Doreen Younglove with you. Awesome. Emily Rose, whose voice would you like to share with us this week? I would love to share Sarah Cooper. My mom introduced me to Sarah Cooper because she would send me her Trump lip syncs. So that was a bit of joy that we've been able to find in these incredibly trying times. But she now has this Netflix special that is not just her moving her mouth and Trump's voice coming out. It's a total creation, all of her own. And I... I'm very wary of comedy specials. Like I don't necessarily feel like comedy is a genre or a community that I feel comfortable engaging with. It can get really negative really fast. And this Netflix special, it just felt like a really bizarro world and a delightfully strange 
creation as opposed to being like a comedy special. It is funny, but it's also satire. It's creative and inventive and weird. It's cool to see a mainstream piece of work that's weird and offbeat. So I really appreciated that. So I'm recommending Sarah Cooper's Netflix special, Everything's Fine. Amazing. I will definitely be checking that out. This week, the voice that I have to recommend to everybody is Roxanne Gay. She is an amazing author, and I have devoured pretty much every book she's put out. But specifically, she wrote a piece in the New York Times opinion section called This is America. When we are recording, it's about a week and a half after the general election. So it is a different world that we are living in. But this piece particularly spoke to me because she holds both the reality that the America we live in and the America we have always lived in is incredibly flawed, but also a lot of hope for the future and a lot of determination to fight for the America that we live in. So I really appreciated it a lot. This is America, New York Times opinion piece by Roxanne Gay. Awesome. Love her. Thank you, both of you, for recommending the voices that you have. This has been a lovely conversation, Yolanda. I've been laughing and tearing up, and I'm so grateful to you for sharing your experiences with us and just bringing a little bit of joy to our day. Thank you, Emily Rose. Thank you, Colleen. You know I love y'all so much. I'm really thrilled you asked me. Thank you very much. And a huge thank you to all of you out there who are listening. Our co-hosts are me, Colleen Hughes. And me, Emily Rose Pratz. I also edit our audio, and our researcher is Rachel Levins. Our music is Nice Girl, written and recorded by the one and only Reverend Yolanda. Thank you so much to her for joining us as a guest today. It was so lovely to have her on the episode. If you would like to learn more about Reverend Yolanda and check out her music, head on over to www.yolandananda.net. That's Y-O-L-A-N-D-A-N-A-N-D-A.net. You can find You Sound Like a Girl at YouSoundLikeAGirl.com. You can email us at YouSoundLikeAGirl at gmail.com. Or you can find us on Instagram at YouSoundLikeAGirl. Catch you next time. Bye. Bye.